series called Be One and Make One. Be One, Make One. Not talking about making babies, talking about making disciples, okay? <clears throat> so we're talking about that, that Jesus didn't just call us to be Christians. He called us to follow him, uh, basically to be disciples. We define that biblically in this series as, as a student, a follower, or an apprentice of. And so Jesus called us. He didn't say, come be Christians or just come to church on Sunday. He said, come follow me and be my disciples. Be my apprentices. Be my students, ones that, that, that are with Jesus and become like Jesus. And in turn, learn to do the things that Jesus did. And so that's our invitation this series. It's learning to, to, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus and in turn and uh, follow him on his mission of, of making disciples. And I want to ask us a question here as we begin this morning. And that's this. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of legacy would you like to leave at the end of this short life? <clears throat> now, I know that's not a question that we wake up thinking every day. I know it's not a question that, that most of us think about very often. I mean, if, if you're like us there are days where I feel like it's a win if I come to the end of the day and I'm sane. You know, I'm like, we got bills to pay, we got responsibilities going on, we got three little, like, bombs of energy, our three little kids running around the house, sometimes they blow each other up, at times they blow us up, got plenty to do with work, traffic to drive through, right, I know we all have things going on, bills to pay, stresses that are real, Right? So, so I know that's not a question that's often at the forefront of our mind, but so often we, we find ourselves a decade later like, how did I get this far? How did I get this old or whatever already? Because we've been so locked in on the traffic and the kids and the bills and the job. So I want to kind of zoom out for a second and say, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? And that's an important question for us to ask in light of eternity as, as, as uh, believers. Um, and so um, I want to start by looking at how did Jesus, during his time here on earth, leave a legacy? Of course, he went to the cross and he taught scripture. So that's, that's something that's unique to Jesus. But in his human capacity, how did he leave a legacy. I tell you what I maybe if I was Jesus, which we're all glad I, I am not and I was not. Uh, if I was Jesus, I probably would have left legacy and be like, let's pack out stadiums. I'm gonna build my PR team and we're gonna promo this thing. We're gonna pack out every stadium. Then I'm gonna get in front of people like I am Jesus. All right, I am the Son of God. I will systematically destroy every argument that is locked up, you know, against me. And then through signs and wonders, we will prove that I am Jesus and everyone will come to Jesus. Then we will, as quickly as possible, go to the next mass stadium event, right? That is what we will do, right? And, and although Jesus absolutely ministered to the masses at times and taught the crowds and, and, and even blessed the individuals in passing, he really actually spent what seems like the bulk of his focus investing his life in a handful of people. Right? He didn't just go blessed here, blessed there, right? He blessed many people, but honestly, many of them didn't even come back to worship him even once. I mean, lepers were healed, 
And they just went on, didn't even come back to worship him, right? Just because he blessed people doesn't mean they were all transformed or went deep. So what Jesus did, he invested his life in a few people, right? In a sense, maybe look at it this way. He, in order to go wide, he went deep. He went deep with a few to go wide to get the good news to many. He impacted a lot of people widely by going deep with a few because he knew in his bodily form, Jesus was fully God, right? We believe that. He was fully God and he was fully man. Yet on the earth, he was limited to physical location and time and he had to sleep. He knew if he invested his life in a few, they could go where he could not physically go and they might be on the earth beyond his time physically here. We, like Jesus in bodily form, have limited time and space uh, on earth. And so Jesus went deep to go wide. And at the end of his ministry, he comes back. And before he, uh, right, he, he, he goes to the cross, he comes back to meet with his disciples. You see at the end of the Gospels. And he gives one last charge or command to kind of pass the baton before he ascends back into heaven. And he gives them one last charge. And, and, and it wasn't, hey, go be nice to people now. The world will be changed if you just go be nice. Just be kind people. He didn't go, hey, go just love people, right? And then everyone will, like, come to know you. No. He, he, let's pick up the story at his last command, his last words before he ascended. in Matthew chapter 28. If you need a Bible, put your hands up. I know many of you guys are familiar with this passage, but I want to look at it with some fresh eyes today. Here is Jesus who had gone, he gave his life to go deep, to go wide, and now he's giving one last charge to his followers, his apprentices, his, his students, his, uh, those that follow him like many of us do. I'm going to start in verse 16 and go to verse 20, reading his last words. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father And the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that is his leaving words before he ascends back to heaven. That is his last charge, the baton handoff. So I just want to kind of pause and think, you know, I could imagine for these guys and the disciples, and even the larger group of disciples, men and women, they were probably kind of enjoying this thing of kind of like being along the ride with Jesus. You know, I'm, I, I can imagine they were picturing, man, we're going to live the rest of our lives just kind of watching Jesus do his work and kind of getting to be his groupies. Right? I mean, they went on a few assignments. They went on like a little mission trip in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. <clears throat> but for the most part, they're just kind of like along for the ride, watching Jesus do all these amazing things. And, and I think you can see through the Gospels, they were very surprised when Jesus 
was going to go to the cross. Kind of like, hey, you're ending your tour early. I thought we're going to be like your bandies, your groupies forever. We had a good thing going. And I can imagine they might have been almost equally surprised because when they got back to fishing and different things, and when Jesus said, hey, here's what I did. Now here's the baton, and it's your job to go do that. It's your turn to go deep to impact the kingdom wide, right? They were probably enjoying just being receivers. But, you know, God's goal is not that we as Christians, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, would spend the focus of our lives hoarding information and experiences to ourselves for the rest of our lives. That's not God's goal for the Christian life, that I will just gather, although let's absolutely study and go deep. That's not what I'm saying. But his goal is not when we just hoard it to ourselves and hoard experiences and hoard more things and just keep gathering it to ourselves. His goal is that we would give that away. We would digest this and consume this and encounter him and encounter him in the church and then go give it away to others, staking ourselves next to a handful of people so that they could be built up in the Lord. Listen, like Jesus, you might have a gift that will touch many. You might have a teaching gift. You might be on stages, or you might not. But I would argue that your greatest legacy you will leave, according to Scripture, is investing in a few people in each season. Basically, making disciples. I would argue your greatest legacy, whatever your stage gift, whatever your gift, you know, your social media account that has thousands of followers or whatever, I would argue your greatest legacy is multiplying out the life of Jesus into a handful of people in each season because then you go from addition to multiplication. Those people will live longer than you, some of them. They will have gifts that you don't have, some of them. They will uh, have stories they have that you don't have, right? I'd argue that's our greatest impact. And this is for all. Everyone who is a disciple of Jesus comes under this teaching and this command for us to go and make others disciples. It's not some like optional, kind of like 301 Christian thing. This is an invitation. If we are to be followers of Jesus, we're to do this, just like Jesus did. So let's look at this idea of making disciples. Verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Again, disciples are students, apprentices you know, who, who are with and becoming like and doing the things that their master, their rabbi, their teacher does. <clears throat> and, and I want to note that it says, that, that it says make disciples. It implies that disciples are made. Mature ones, ones that actually look like Jesus and are walking and doing the things Jesus did, they're not just like spontaneously combusted. It's like, you know, and all of a sudden, here's a mature Christian. It is a messy, as we've talked about last week, it's a messy, non-linear process over time that involves other believers. Yeah, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, and the cross is going to be the one that keeps sanctifying us, God at work. But his process of growing believers, of growing disciples, of making disciples is a process that involves other believers along the way. 
So I want to give a little definition that we use oftentimes around church that we just see based out of Matthew 28 of what discipleship is. If you can pull that up. Discipleship is one person helping another person become a lifelong obedient to the words of Jesus, follower of Jesus, who helps others do the same. One person, this is interpersonal discipleship. One person helping another person, becoming a lifelong, obedient follower of Jesus, who in turn helps others to do the same. And you see um, the ministry of these handful of disciples who said yes to that their ministry and the church multiplied out exponentially. Now, I know for some of us, we see that and we're like, dude, you don't know my life. A, I'm busy. B, I'm still struggling with sin. C, I, I am not a Bible scholar. <clears throat> I don't know, you know. Um, I want to look here. At, at, uh, it says right here in verse 17. I love this. It says, when they saw him, again, this is the time of commissioning. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So this is like an apex moment. These people have been with Jesus. This is like their grand commissioning. You know, this wasn't like the first day they were with Jesus. This isn't also when they went out and started proclaiming Jesus later and had a hard time or whatever. This is like the apex moment and they're doubting in their very commissioning. Right? So we're, if you're doubting, if you're like, how could I go help someone else or bless someone else? You're in great company here with these guys who are doubting at the very moment of their command. This is to be their apex moment, and they're doubting. <clears throat> Here's the thing on this. If you wait till you've got it all figured out to obey the commands of Jesus, you'll never do it. It's actually in investing in some other people, even if it's peer-to-peer, like, hey, we're kind of the same place. Like, you're a mess, I'm a mess, let's follow Jesus together and sharpen one another, you know. It's actually in the process of investing in others that God grows and sanctifies us. It's actually when we get off our consuming mentality and start to say, I, I'm going to stake myself next to someone else, and I've got to be sharpened in the word, and I've got to be sharpened in my life with God because I'm walking with someone else. That is one of the main places that you grow, and that's God's design here. <clears throat> little, uh, little secret I'll let you in on. I told you a couple weeks ago I'm, I'm coaching a soccer team of five- and six-year-old boys. Here's my confession. I don't know anything about soccer. I literally, my wife is a star soccer player. I'm literally like, how do you kick a soccer ball? With your toe, the inside of your foot, what's a throw-in versus a goal kick versus a corner kick? No idea. I played football. I ran track. I skied. I'm from Minnesota. <clears throat> I did not play soccer. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. I'm learning as I teach then. I get on my YouTube videos. I, I chuck in my watch. I'm getting sharpened and challenged. I'm learning the game of soccer by giving it out with someone else. Listen, I actually think in some ways it's their doubt that qualified them. You see, they were going to invest in other normal human beings like themselves. They weren't going to go find these people that had it all together. Like, I doubt, but you got it together, so let me help you. No. 
They were going to go invest in other people that doubted. They were going to go care for other people just like them who had the same struggles. And the beauty of caring and investing in others is you can relate and you can be loved and accepted and cared for by other real people, right, who have real issues. So they doubted just like us, and yet they obeyed anyways. If they would, can you imagine if they said, no, we're in process? Like, we might not be here. I don't know. But they went anyways. They doubted, but they obeyed anyways. They doubted, but they loved anyways. They doubted, but they followed Jesus anyways. We will doubt. Will we obey anyways? And so what was their authority, right? If they doubted, it wasn't them being awesome. Their authority was Jesus. You see it right here in Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 18, Jesus said this, all of the beginning of the commission, the beginning of this charge to all of us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. The authority came, he can give it to who he wants. If you're a believer, he's given you authority, right? You might not feel like it. You might be like, I'm a mess, but he chose you, and he's given you authority to be a part of this great mission. On top of that, it says that we, uh, he is with us always to the very end of the age. It also says we're going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to do baptisms right after church. There's a part of this. I want to invite you to that. It's going to be a, a blast. God's doing great things in our midst. And, it, and we're baptized into Jesus, into the Trinity. But I also love the picture that paints of like life following Jesus is a continual baptism into his character, into the nature of God, into Jesus, into the Father, into the Holy Spirit, that we're continually experiencing him more and more and more. And that's what that's what being a disciple is. That we we he's with us always. We wake up, we open this up, say, God, what do you want to say to me? We pray, say, Spirit of God, lead me, and then we do it. And we get to wake up the next day, like, God, where are you leading me today? I want to follow you in work today. I want to follow you in my parent today or with my roommates or in college today or high school. I'm going to follow you today. And, and we get to walk with him and talk with him and follow him and obey him. That's exciting. And that is what, what this uh, simply is. Uh, is is taking someone else with us along the way, right? So let me kind of use that soccer analogy again to help us understand that <clears throat> in soccer, I'm learning something on YouTube or from my wife, and then I give it away. I'm not studying for four years to be a soccer coach, right? Although some of you, you know, I'm not talking about a seminary. That's not what I'm learning. I'm not studying. Do it. Go for it. But what I'm talking about is uh, God isn't just looking for people who are called to full-time vocational ministry. God is looking for ordinary Christians who will learn something and give it away. You might know one scripture, and if you're doing it, you can give it to someone else. Someone needs to hear the revelation you're carrying in that one scripture. You might just be learning how to pray. You're like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm praying and I'm starting to see an answer. Pull someone else in with you, right? You might know, you know, just John 3.16. God so loved the world. Someone needs that, right? So you can take something and give it away to someone else. And, and how am I teaching my kids in, in soccer? Do I take these five- and six-year-olds, I put them, you know, in a classroom all day, and I'm like, hey, I got uh, a whiteboard here, and we're going to talk. Here's the 20 ways to kick a soccer ball. 
I mean, it would be terrible, right? They would be all over the place. Now, we do quick pull-togethers around some simple truths about soccer. Here's some simple truths. We're going to grasp these. I'm going to show you how it's done. Here's how you kick a ball. Here's how you pass a ball. Here's, you know, uh, here's where you should position yourself. Now go do it. And I'll be with you to coach you and encourage you along the way, and we'll talk about it after, right? That's how they learn how to play soccer. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> okay. So um, following Jesus, we're just going to take other people with us along the way and bless them and encourage them. That's, that's the beauty of this. Let me just say a couple things real quickly that is not. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to make this brief. Number one, uh, being discipleship is not being someone's personal Moses. Investing, it's not, it's not saying, hey, they need to come to me, or they like, like, hey, I need to make a decision. Can you hear God for me? No, 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 that's, that's weird. We don't do that. That's, that's Old Testament. That's what Moses did. We all go to Jesus. We all go to Scripture. We all go to the Spirit. We're all responsible to make our own decisions before God. So we're not trying to be someone else's personal Moses. Secondly, what discipleship is not, it's not being Jesus. We're not saving others. Sometimes we have this need to be needed. And we're like, I, everyone else was unfaithful to you and wasn't there for I will always be with you. This is weird, like, savior complex thing. That's not what discipleship is. Not being else, someone else's personal <coughs> Jesus that they uh, can, will perfectly save them and comfort them and be there every time. That's why we have scripture. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, right? Thirdly, discipleship is not being a Bible answer spoon feeder, right? Can I get it? James didn't come on up here for a second. Help us understand this, right? James loves the word, but I know he's been walking with Jesus for a while, but, uh, you know, I know that it's hard sometimes to be a big boy and feed yourself. So I'm going to disciple James then. And I've got to stick with the milk with you, buddy. Got this. I know it's hard to hold this for yourself. So let me just kind of squeeze a little bit. How is that? Yeah. How is that good? Okay. What? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Lord forbid I would have you hold this and do it yourself. So, oh, 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 no. Oh, okay. There we go. Right? Here we go. Oh, big one. Big one. Here we go. Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Oh. All right. So, thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Um, <coughs> Our goal as pastors, our goal as Christians is not to have everyone come to us and, hey, what is this saying? What, you know, this and that. Our goal is to help other people open up the word of God and explore. We can help. We can assist, especially if it's a newer believer. You know, absolutely. You know, I'm happy to give some scriptures and things like that. But our goal is to teach them to feed in the word, to love the word, to explore the word. And you know what? You got Google these days to help you. I mean, there's a lot of tools out there. Our goal is to help other people familiarize themselves with the word and the tools available to them. Lastly, discipleship is not being someone's personal counselor. Okay? Right? We have professionals that can really go into the depths and all the different things. So we have a great network of counselors, including a couple here in our own church that we'd love to uh, be happy to refer you to. Uh, but, but, you know, it's not solving someone's all their internal world, right? That, that hopefully is encouraging to us. A couple other just quick notes I'll say. Number one, our, our desire as a church is for all people to come and be engaged in discipleship relationships, to be activated as followers of Jesus, 
That might happen a lot of different ways. That might be uh, one-on-one with someone else. It might be a group where you're following Jesus together, a group of guys or a group of ladies kind of going deeper together. <clears throat> that might happen in different relational dynamics. It might be a mentorship relationship where someone is really older, wiser, you know, and, and they're really building in the wisdom of the years. And, man, seek that out. That's awesome. It might be a peer-to-peer type relationship where it's like, man, we're, we're trying to figure it out together. And there might be a couple people we find out there that all but like we're going deep together we need mothers and fathers in front and brothers and sisters alongside right there's a lot of different ways this this plays out but our desire is that we're all um being built into but also then building in we're all saying i'm going to build into someone else whether i have that come my way or not this is obedient followers of jesus and we have in our life groups we have guys and ladies groups that are rolling out right now and i know um and that's our desire, you know, if you want to get connected. We have those, those going on in a place that, you know, our life groups are, are large, you're a little bit co-ed, but a, a, a place where you can go deeper with, with a few people. Now, I, I know, um, number one, just uh, going deeper with a few people kind of brings up this feeling of, of vulnerability, this thought of vulnerability. I want to say just a couple things about that real quickly. Number one, uh, it can be a scary thing because we're all imperfect in process, but, but specifically, that is a place where we can find healing. It's Jesus that does the healing, but often he uses the hands and feet of other believers to be a part of that healing process. And when we get our realest sense and we get real and vulnerable and we're loved in that place by other people and we realize that other people are having together as well, that is a place of healing. And I really sense God is just speaking that to our church that, that there's people here going to come in. They've been hurt. We've been you know, hurt family, hurt church, whatever. There's a place of healing in this season. God wants to heal hearts this season. Uh, secondly, we do it because Jesus said uh, that we should be, uh, you know, in community and vulnerable. Uh, another reason, is there something going on behind me? I feel a little weird, but I can't see something. There's something going on in my life that I can't see. <laughs> someone's about to hit me? Oh, oh. <laughs> Man, now that I saw it, I could handle it. Joel, come on, bro. (laughs) My point in case here, I can't see behind me. Like, I don't care how good my vision is. I can have 20-20 vision. I can't see behind me. I can't. The score on my back looks great, but I can't see it. I don't know if it looks great because I can't see it. My wife tells me. Uh, I can't see. I can't. Change gears. This is not supposed to be weird. I can't see behind me, right? That's the, that's the power of community. Right? We need people. We, we feel things. We fear things. We think things that, that we're just accustomed to. But we need community. We need people around us to lovingly help us. <clears throat> Sometimes that's been me needing encouragement and not even knowing it. Someone goes, I didn't even know I was in need of encouragement. Sometimes <clears throat> I had uh, a year and a half ago, one of our core friends and leaders in this church really said, hey, I see a little bit of gap in your marriage here. We're, we're good friends with them. And they said, hey, I want to challenge you. You know, I feel like you're not loving your wife as well as you could. And I was like, 
bro, I didn't even realize that. Thank you. And it was, like, significant for our marriage. We needed that. We were doing everything we knew, and it was good. Uh, but there was an area of growth by the grace of God and community. Uh, it, was, it was needed. Um, so, so that's why it's not just me and Jesus, me and Jesus and his church. Um, and, and so it starts with just connecting with a few other people, and then from there, doing the simple of things of Jesus together, right? Whether that's on a basic level or a really deep level, right? Um, but just doing the things of Jesus together, finding Jesus in everyday life together. I'm going through that. Let's find. Let's go to Jesus together, right? Uh, it could be just a few simple kind of rhythms or life components that that we want to. Uh, help people grasp. So, like I said, we're all about um, going into different depths or studies or, or learning different things, but we find there's a few simple things in the life of a disciple of Jesus, if you learn, that are significant. How to spend time with Jesus, right? How to read scripture, how to pray uh, effectively, how to, how to, um, how to have healthy relationships, right? How to share our faith with other people. Most people, many believers have been believers for decades and don't know how to do some of those things. So that's our heart. We actually have some resources we'll be putting online in the next few weeks. There's just some videos, some course passages, some other supplemental passages, other resources, just to help you in your discipleship relationships and you being a disciple of Jesus, just in those basic things, learn how to feed yourself, and then from there, go deeper, go into all the different places, but just a basic lifestyle of a disciple. Well, I want to, um, just towards the end here, bring up a couple friends. Um, they're going to just have lived this out, ask them a few questions. James and Emily, Hubert, come on up. All right. Hey, um, good group of people right here. So just I wanted to just hear from a few other people that have lived this out, that have experienced in themselves, that are, that, are, that are taking their lives to build into some other people. Uh, so I love to hear just, just why, you know, Jameson came on staff with us here in the last few months. And from the moment we met Jameson and his wife, they were just excited about this idea of building into some other people. Jameson, tell us what fires you up about that. Yeah, well, um, we landed here because of discipleship, just uh, explicitly. That's uh, why we're here. But I had had uh, a, men- a person that, that I viewed as, as further in me in their journey with Jesus that I had approached uh, probably like six years ago. Saw stuff on his life that I wanted for myself. Like, I want to grow in this. This guy seems to have this. We got to meet. Um, absolutely, uh, I, I experienced transformation in that. But then the thing that I saw happen was, and, and that he was really vulnerable and allowed me into, uh, was his growth in that space. And he really spoke to the fact that, like, he, in discipling me, got compelled by the power of Christ changing me to then grow him, if that makes sense. And that, that, that really surprised me because I always thought discipleship was like, I've got this thing, so like, let me give it to you. Now I'm more the mindset of like, I need to be discipling people because it is the thing that works out Christ in me. So as I get to walk with other people, I'm like, if I'm not doing that with you, I on my own just with Jesus can't do that. Because like in the garden, he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's my piece. Awesome. Awesome. How, um, love to hear, you know, Hubert, we were talking a little bit earlier. How has, how has discipleship, how has discipleship, um, just quite the story, you know, how discipleship is bad to you. Tell us, how has discipleship 
Yeah, it's been life-changing for you. Um, I would say discipleship has given me a profound impact uh, on my life because it just literally it gives me it gave me a clearer perspective of my relationship with Jesus. Um, so I know we throw the term God's unconditional love just like you know all the time, but believe it or not, that that concept is so abstract uh, to me because um, uh, you know whether it was through um, cultural uh, or family upbringings, um, I, I, I viewed it through that foggy lens, and I wasn't able to um, interpret how a loving father mm. uh, is to his child. And so um, going through uh, discipleship, it, 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 I, someone had to walk through it with me to these tough issues, these, these conflicts in my head that I was like, um, you know, if God was uh, this loving father, why is he like this to me? But really, I mean, it was actually uh, uh, nothing farther than the truth. God's unconditional love made more sense when someone just mm. just walked through it with me and spoke truth uh, to me. And so now I, 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 I used to live for many years with guilt, shame, mm. and just uh, unable to meet um, my opinion, you know, wh how I saw God's standard. And now I can pursue Jesus with um, freedom and just full confidence that he loves me unconditionally. So that's great. All because of discipleship. Go God. Come up. How, you know, in the early days, and Emily's been a part of our church, how many years now? Four years? Three years? Four? Come on. Four to five years. This woman of God right here. Uh, what... What was impacting you in the early years of discipleship? What was impact? Because you grew up, you know, loving Jesus and a great family. But what was impacting you in those early years? Um, yeah, so it's kind of funny because uh, Mark was saying about how, like, you think, some people might think it's your personal Moses, you know, personal Jesus, all those things. And I think I actually grew up as a missionary kid and, like, for 10 years lived overseas and, I had no idea really what discipleship looked like. I thought that was a New Testament thing, like we're done now, you know, kind of just like it was Jesus's thing, not my thing. And he had disciples and I wasn't one of them. And <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I started coming to life group during college and uh, met a lot of people who were like just super real and like loved community, wanted to like meet up with me and like pursue me in like friendship. And I was like, okay, cool. And then one day this girl like came up to me and was like, hey, you wanna, do you want to like meet up regularly and talk about Jesus? Like I, wanna, I would love to disciple you. And I was like, oh, like what? <laughs> like that's awesome. And like I thought that she was going to be my personal Moses or my personal Jesus or like the baby feeder thing. Um, <laughs> but that was not the case at all. She pointed me to Jesus. She pointed me to scripture. She prayed with me and for me, um, but she always made it about Jesus and me and how I could grow in that relationship. And I've, I've just never seen discipleship any other way. And I just, I like love that. And now I get to have the opportunity to disciple some girls. And um, it's been amazing to like have that example um, to go for and, and just like fall in love with what that can do to people and how our relationship with God can grow. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, for me, it was so significant. Just uh, I had one or two older people, but also just some peers. And it was sometimes 
the peers I was telling Patrick, just helping me observe the basic things of Jesus, learning that just basic lifestyle of following Jesus was so significant. I'd love to hear as we end from one or two of you guys, what does that look like in this season for you, to, to disciple other, to build into the lives of other people? Hubert, busy guy, bunch of kids, career-oriented person, family. What does that look like? Well, gone are the days of spending eight hours at a coffee shop. <laughs> but uh, in this season, um, I'll be honest, there is never really a good time, and it's the time is always too short. But, uh, you know, like, you know, whether it's parenthood or work schedules, just uh, uh, bringing, you, bringing, you, bringing you down. But um, this is how I see it. You know, if, if God uh, chose to love us, he chose to love us, we must uh, choose into discipleship, into, uh, you know, accountability, authenticity, because, um, uh, you know, I mean, you have to be able to um, say yes in order to grow. Um, parenthood, work schedules, it's not an excuse. And so um, I think even in this season in life, um, through the uh, D groups that I've had, um, both in this community and at work, um, just the one hour every two weeks or maybe a Saturday morning uh, every couple of weeks, um, it's been life-changing and transformational. Totally need it, um, and I can't live without it because, um, yeah, I mean, you got to have that, you got to have that uh, vulnerability to put yourself out there. So in this awesome. season, you can still do it. I can tell you, everyone, it's, you, it's worth it. All right. Love it. Love it. Love it. Any quick 30-second ads? I'll take it. It's good. It's good. Eight hours at a coffee shop. I mean, that's what, that's what I do. Um, no, like I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got a wife who works full-time. I work. Uh, it's inviting people into the mess. It's, hey, come see the chaos in my home, but like how we follow Jesus in the midst of that. Come have dinner with us. Come watch us put our kids to bed, and then we'll hang out, and we'll, we'll have those discussions. It's not clear and, and, you know, full of peace always, but um, it's full of Jesus, and I know that's the thing that pulls me forward, and I think that people have loved getting to sit in that space. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thanks, guys. <coughs> yeah, so in a meeting this last week, it's something like, I need to go have a conversation with my son right now, and I'll tell you about that. A little discipleship, you know, like just doing life with other people. <coughs> As the band comes out, I just want to um, share one just super quick story. A lady named Henrietta Mears. I've got a picture of her up there. Though many of you may not know her name. Here's just a few of the people that she invested in, mentored, or discipled. Bill and Vanette Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now has 25,000 missionaries in 191 countries. Dawson Trotman, founder of The Navigators, which has 4,600 staff, right? Jim Rayburn, founder of Young Life Ministries. Many of you guys are familiar with Young Life. A few other names. Richard Halverson, who is a U.S. Senator and chaplain for 15 years, chairman of the World Vision for 20 years. Ronald Reagan came, became the 40th president of the United States. Billy Graham, who wanted to communicate the gospel of Jesus to more people than anyone in human history. Now, I know maybe a handful of you only knew the name Henrietta Mears. 
but we've all been impacted by her ministry. She was a mother of the nations of the earth, not because she had the largest platform, but because she invested her life in a handful of people. She was the education director at First Presbyterian up in Hollywood back in the day. And she built her ministry there, not just around educational systems, but around building into a few people with the simple scriptures and the word of Jesus, very intentionally. I wonder what God wants to do through you. No one may know your name, but this is our heartbeat. This is what we want to embrace as a culture, as a church. I'm going to invite us to stand as we end.